Cool. Well, Stephen Douglas, thanks very much for coming on. It's really good to see you again. Um, I wasn't able to make it over for the um, uh, the launch or the rebrand um, launch um, a couple of weeks back, but it looked pretty exciting. Um, but listen, thanks for coming along. And if for those of who are not who are listening and don't know, it'd be good if we get a wee introduction from both of you, just so we know who you are, what you've been doing, and then if you can tell us what you've been up to in terms of the, the strategic direction or the the, the, the rebranding. That would be great. So take it away. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. And uh, yeah, first of all, thanks very much for the invitation uh, to Douglas Knight. Come on and talk a little bit about this. Um, so my name's Stephen Good. I am Chief Exec at um, now called Built Environment Smart Transformation, best formerly Construction Scotland Innovation Centre, which a lot of people will, will uh, maybe know us by. Um, yeah, I've been an architect for about 10 years, uh, then worked in uh, construction Um uh, particularly around kind of manufacturing uh, innovation and, and sustainability design uh, for about another seven or eight years before um, kind of involved in the Innovation Centre back in 2012 as it was being developed and 2014 we launched and um, yeah 2022 we have um, we have rebranded and, and uh, yeah we, we had an event last week um, that we'll talk sorry two weeks ago now that we'll talk about a little bit but um, yeah we managed to sneak up um, on top of everything else that, that we uh, were planning on for that day which was really a kind of milestone between COP26 and COP27 activity, uh, we managed to sneak in a, a full rebrand and, and relaunch in the middle of it. But um, but yeah, it, really exciting. So yeah, look forward to talking about it. But um, but yeah, I'll hand over to Douglas. Yeah, no, th- thanks, Stephen. And uh, thanks, Duncan. Um, really uh, you know, appreciate the invite to come along today and um, talk about some of our work. Um, so I'm Douglas Morrison. I am an Impact Director at Built Environment Smarter Transformation. And uh, my my background um, initially, uh, I am a stonemason to trade, um, and have spent uh, the majority of my career in the education and skills um, system uh, in the college sector. So working with apprentices, working with students coming through, particularly with an interest in stonemasonry um, and architectural conservation. Um, I have been with Best now for a couple of years, um, and I'm really interested in how we. Um, support the development of a workforce that is trained, competent, and capable to uh, to take on this big challenge that that we have before us. And you know, really, the um, you know, big part of what I'm sure we'll be talking about over the course of the next 15, 20 minutes or so will be exactly how um, we at best, along with all of our partners, intend to do that. I think that's that's brilliant. I mean, I think trained, competent, and capable. That's a really that's a really interesting and 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 particularly pertinent point just now given a lot of the conversations we've been having over the last few weeks just just to reframe things now most people that listen to this will know we, we bang on about the impact of buildings and the environment but could you give us uh, an idea in terms of or give us some of the stats or the background in terms of the built environment and climate change we've we've been talking about the impact of, of housing and buildings and, and, and climate now for 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 donkeys but to maybe reframe the or to frame the argument in, in terms of the importance of um, the built environment, you know, there's other sectors, there's agriculture, there's transport and so on. But could you give us some, um, those that are listening, just an idea of the scale of the challenge within the built environment and, and, and you know, with a Scottish or UK context? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think um, it's one of those things, I mean, we, we obviously, uh, despite going through a rebrand and change our name to, to Built Environment Smart Transformation, which is more around 
building that kind of momentum or that movement towards what we're trying to do. We, we sit within an innovation centre community in Scotland. So there's seven innovation centres and, uh, and I often, uh, I often uh, wind up my other innovation centre colleagues uh, who run innovation centres that are either cross-cutting across multi-sectors or they're other sector specific that um, they, they can't do an awful lot of what they do unless we build the infrastructure, the homes, the uh, the, the you know, sort of the utilities and all the various different things that they need to do what their sector then needs to do to create economic, social, environmental impact. So I think in that sense, we are acutely aware of the kind of underpinning nature, that kind of real strategic nature that the built environment has to support everything else that we do um, as a society, ultimately, you know, as the built environment. So um, we're responsible for creating it, whether it's good or bad. Um, and now we're going to be responsible for making sure it's as, as um, close to uh, low zero carbon as we can possibly make it. So I think in that sense, it's... Yeah. You never get a, a, a position that's different from Douglas and I than the environment is the most important um, yeah. sort of sector, I suppose, in that sense. Yeah, not, yeah. not everyone has a car, not everyone flies, everyone lives in a house, or most people live in a house. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, a really important reflection from, from my perspective is always this um, tension between, you know, what, what is the construction industry and what is the built environment? And, you know, we, we've been spending a lot of work you know, over, the, over the last few months um, Duncan looking at how we actually define the built environment, you know, in the context of, you know, what impact it has on, you know, on, on a natural environment, yeah. um, the kind of social and economic impacts. But, you know, to, to give you a sense of scale, you know, when we take a really traditional view of the construction industry, we've got around 164,000 people uh, working in the construction industry in Scotland right mm-hmm. now. Um, but when we start to broaden that out to look at, you know, construction and, you know, all the related you know, trades and professions yeah. and, um, you know, in other sectors that feed into that process, it takes us up to, you know, kind of 230,000. Yeah. Um, and we start to expand yeah. that out into the manufacturing supply chain and the digital and data people that are supporting, yeah. you know, direct activity involved in the built environment it takes all, all the way up to 332,000. So you can see that, you know, there is a real difference in the kind of traditional interpretation of construction yeah. and you know this huge workforce of you know a third of a million people in Scotland mm. alone who are actively engaged in you know developing improving uh, maintaining managing our built environment and really yeah. are you know part of our, our mission our strategy is to engage as many people um you know yeah. within that group as possible um to really drive forward this this big change yeah, and, and and is that the that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, that is you know that's the challenge how you how you drive that change and, and how how you identify and 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 bring those people along and train those people was was that behind the the rebranding decision, the strategic decision or the strategic direction and, and change? Was that the focus there? Yeah, I mean. So we've been working with our uh, with our board. We've got an industry-led board made up of a whole variety of different, you know, industry um, innovators from across different parts of the, the industry. We've got um, our strategic partners um, that that fund and help support uh, the, the the work that we do. Um, so we've been having that conversation for a while around um, you know construction Scotland Innovation Centre uh, has served us well as a as a you know a name for a good number of years now and. 
Um, certainly at the beginning, it kind of did what it said on the tin. You know, we were focused on the construction industry. We supported innovation. Um, we, we were based in Scotland. We worked with Scottish universities, Scottish organisations predominantly, um, and, and we had a physical centre part to it in terms of our base at Hamilton Technology Park. But over time, all of those things I think have evolved, and as, as is the nature of any organisation that's kind of grown and, uh, you know, alive to the opportunities that are going on around about us, we recognise that, you know, construction industry is often perceived as just that bit of activity that takes place on a building site. Um, and that's not the only part of this built environment kind of community that we we support and never really has been. Um, but certainly most recently we're working right across that full spectrum from you know policymakers, educators, clients, right through the whole supply chain, design community, manufacturers and, uh, and, and whatnot. So um, I think you know almost taking each of those four words, you know, construction Scotland Innovation Centre, we don't just work in Scotland now, we work internationally, we work a lot across the UK with other stakeholders and partners where um we are one of the, the UN high-performing building initiative uh, centres of excellence now. So we're engaged with a, a wider community of other uh, organisations that are very like-minded and are trying to help support their um, ecosystems to, to decarbonise and, and evolve and innovate and, and whatnot. So, yeah, um, and innovation isn't just the only thing we do. You know, again, we'll be talking a lot about this internally. And as we start to move forward, you know, what does industry need? Yes, we will need to develop, you know, new innovative solutions all over, all over the place. But equally, we need to mainstream and scale up a lot of things we already know how to do. So it's not about necessarily new innovation. It's about commercialization. It's about knowledge exchange. It's about um, it's about a whole range of other things. Yeah. Um, and and we don't just have one centre anymore. We're operating virtually um, with uh, uh, mobile centres in the Highlands and Islands. We've got presence down south of Scotland. We've got, you know, activity yeah. that's going on across other uh, regions of the, the world now. So, yeah, I felt like it was time for us to yeah. kind of look at that refresh and, and uh, come up with something that was a bit more related to where we were going rather than maybe where we'd been. Yeah, in some ways, I suppose innovation, I mean, innovation is still a very critical part, but I said to somebody today that we pretty much have most of the technologies that we need to decarbonise, you know, what we need to decarbonise. And, and I sometimes think that people feel as if there's, another, there's a silver bullet coming and there's not really that I can see. I think we we just need to get on and, and, and develop the processes and practices. Okay, you can hone and refine them to, to an extent, but they're pretty much there. I don't think we'll be doing too much different over the next... Over the next over the next decade or so, and and I didn't I didn't know about the mobile units, I didn't know about South Scotland, Stephen. That's really interesting. If you could tell us a wee bit more, but also maybe Douglas, in terms of the practical stuff that you know about educating, about training. You mentioned you know three key key components: here, train, competent, and capable, and that's so important. Getting yeah. to some of the work that we have to do, and how does that actually translate to in in, in actual programs of work or courses? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a really interesting question, Duncan. And you know, I, I think we've you know we've had an age-old tension between you know where where the policy landscape is is pointing towards, and then you know where you know, ultimately our, our industry, which you know as you know is predominantly small and micro businesses, you know mm -hmm. where where they're investing, and you know, there's always been this cyclic tension of you know policy agenda being set that's quite ambitious and quite aspirational, quite progressive. Um, and an industry that are you know thinking about investment in their workforce, and you know, want to develop a workforce that you know ultimately gives them competitive advantage and you know able to to provide a high quality of work. Um, but there have been a few false dawns um, over the last number of years where you know training has been deployed, competence has been developed, and that pipeline hasn't really came through. So you have this catch twenty two whereby you know clients might not 
reach out to some of the kind of higher quality, uh, more progressive approaches because they don't have confidence that the workforce and the supply chain um, are there and that they're capable and that, that they're resilient. Um, and then in turn, the you know the businesses aren't investing in you know developing those skills and competencies because the pipeline isn't there. So a big part of what we are trying to do, um, you know, through through a number of programs, and you know, our colleague Katrina Jordan is leading our low carbon learning program, which um, I know some of your listeners will will be aware of and listened to previous podcasts. But really, the the role that we are playing there is you know lo- looking at the edge of you know, industry practice, looking at those areas where we have genuine belief, you know, a high degree of confidence that, you know, we have new systems, we have new processes, we have new practices that, you know, have been proven, they have been developed, we know that they work, and we know that they're ready to mainstream. Um, and really what we're trying to do is, is pump prime the market, you know, with our with our training programs. So um, working with industry experts to shape those programs, working with our educators to make sure that they you know, themselves are upskilled and you know, ready to, to support the development of the of the wider workforce. Um, and of course, with you know, those industry partners, those kind of early stage or early adopters um, who are really keen to upskill you know, in areas like you know, Passive House, um, for example, um, a lot of the retrofit applications, particularly those that are you know, using locally sourced sustainable materials. So um, what good looks like for us is that we are able to develop those educational programs where we know there is a you know a high likelihood of of demand within the next one to three years, um, and then work really closely with our colleges, our universities, our training providers, our you know internal industry um, you know training departments, and make sure that they are ready and you know themselves equipped to develop that workforce. And I think ultimately. And perhaps the main point, you know, we we know that if the workforce are trained and competent, they will deliver, you know, high quality work, and that in turn, you know, creates momentum, it creates confidence, and you know, within the client base, um, and it really drives progress, and that's that's the key the key part of all of this. You, you mentioned there about training the trainers, and I think it's important to to let people know that that whilst whilst there are training programs that you that you are doing, we 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 can. The three of us can't, and 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 and, uh, and and best can't train everyone. This a large part of this, and I suppose, I suppose, I wonder what success would look like for 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 you guys in three or four years' time. But is that part of it? Is is about how you train the cohort of people to take the message out? Is that is that where success lies? Yeah, yeah, look, I, absolutely. I mean, we so our, our role in all of this is to you know, build the capability, build build the resilience and, and mainstream good practice. Um, so what, you know, realistically what success looks like in, in terms of training programmes that we're delivering now is that, you know, three, four years from now, we're not delivering those programmes because there's already a mainstream provision in place. And, you know, we, you know, we at that point are actively working with our industry partners and policymakers and others to look at, you know what's coming over the horizon next. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. It's a really strong message, and it's it's quite a selfless message in the sense that we realise we've got this massive challenge. And interestingly, I spoke to I was speaking to an economist and and last week, and and he was saying the big issue with companies is if they spend money on training their staff to a really high level, they run the risk of actually losing those staff at a later stage because those staff become. You know, sought after they become specialists, and they they have, um, you know, they have a a, a a a higher cost element to them. So that's quite interesting. So, is, is stimulate 
education within the market to take us to the next stage. Is that a fair paraphrase? Is that, is, 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 you know, it's more than that, sure, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, just uh, just when you were talking about that previous part there about um, about uh, you know if you train people well and then they leave, I always go back to I think it was a um, was it a Richard Branson a quote wasn't it about you know when asked what what if we train them and, and they leave and his response was what if we don't and they stay um, and I think that's the that's the sort of challenge that we've that we've got isn't it you know we we know we've got a a huge um, challenge ahead of us, you know, as, as a built environment kind of ecosystem, you know, in its widest, widest sense. I think we are a figure that, that keeps getting mentioned varies, but somewhere between 42 and 47% of global, you know, CO2 equivalent emissions are down to the built environment, whether in construction or, or operation, you know. So um, we are a big part of that challenge, which means we need to be a massive part of the solution. So yeah, to, to your point, I think what we're trying to do um, and evolving from Construction Scotland Innovation Centre and the Built Environment Smart Transformation, it wasn't about finding a new name for our organisation. It was about finding something that aligned with the mission that us as an organisation are kind of on. Um, and, you know, Built Environment is the, the breadth of community that we are engaging with now, we're supporting. Um, and we have to go on a, a transformation journey and we want to do it as smartly as we possibly can. And um, so that, that felt pretty obvious uh, to us. Um, but yeah, it's more about, I suppose, really building that momentum, uh, that movement, Duncan, that kind of movement of how do we, you know, under a brand that hopefully people um, are attracted to, how do we build a community of um, really motivated, you know, innovative doers that are keen to lean into the, the challenge here, bring all of their knowledge, experience, um, and, and our job in some respects is relatively straightforward, albeit challenging as just get everybody that knows how to do good things, collaborating with everybody that doesn't. And then, you know, through a whole bunch of different processes we can support in different ways, we build that kind of movement that's going to um, help take this from a lot of really great stuff that's happened. And you touched on it at the beginning, you know, we know how to do yeah. a, lot of, a lot of things we need, we need to do. We just don't know how to do them at a mainstream level. Yeah. So how do we scale all that up yeah. uh, is really where I think we're focusing. You need to make sure that the people who don't know what to do don't unteach the people. Don't teach the people who do know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> there is always that risk. Jeff. Unlearn things, you know. Oh no! Um, oh man, yeah. that was that was what Nathan was speaking about. Uh, Nathan gambling the other week. You know, yeah. the, the blind leading the blind, uh, which is a problem. Which we heard you, were, your guys, are speaking with him actually, uh, which we were very pleased with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think without I'm not I'm trying not to blow smoke and, and, and what, what best what best of doing is is really pretty phenomenal in terms of trying to get people behind that that message. And I don't see anyone else doing it in the space. But Douglas made a point just before you guys came on about and this is just really useful to reframe what we're talking about here because we know the impact the built environment has on climate change, but but Douglas mentioned the figure of a two hundred and thirty thousand people employed directly and indirectly in construction in Scotland. That's massive. I mean, that, that is enormous. And I think that's when you look at the challenge we have, the challenge is that we're making sure, yeah, we get our buildings right, but the people that those 230,000 pounds are getting them right, the 230,000 people are getting the, uh, the, 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 bits, the bits right. So, no, yeah, it's great. The Monetary Valley, yeah. Very yeah, low back, Monetary Valley. Too, Freudian, yeah. Freudian yeah. slip. Freudian slip. Freudian <laughs> so, no, I think it's brilliant. And, I mean, Dan and, and, and Alex are up next week, and if if, um, if you've got some time, guys, I could happily take you over because I think the um, um, the location's great, the site is really good, everyone's pretty impressed when they go there. It's a it's a great location and some really good infrastructure in it. 
Yeah, well, great, great. we're meeting Katrina Jordan on Monday. She's joining us uh, uh, in the what's turning into a bit of a party in the afternoon. It seems like we've got Terry Hogg from uh, Scotland. Oh, it's like the uh, sad, yeah. the saddest party in the world. You know, <laughs> you know, you know you get a whole bunch of retrofit people talking about like you values. I mean, that is just oh, man, but people. I'm disappointed I've not had that invite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're well, always well, welcome. Like. like uh, by all means, come along. We'll be at Sloan's uh, at, from about three o'clock. But it's the only day anyone's free. Uh, <laughs> like, like from three p.m. Monday afternoon, yeah. and everyone's—I mean, everyone seems to be uh, approaching it with a little bit of trepidation because it has the potential to go yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it does. But we've got like an interesting Dean Ralston, and IOPT there. Um, uh, who's you guys know? I think he's, he's really, but you know that is the innovative side of what what a lot of the kind of things we're doing. I, I mean, what's interesting you said earlier on, Douglas, is, you, know, uh, you know, success in two or three years' time is where you have trained a cohort of of people that are you know that are training others to a standard that is going to get us where we want. That's great. I suppose without looking at a crystal ball, is what comes beyond that? Because even though you have dropped in, dropped the term innovation. And we agree that most of the most of the things we need to apply to buildings yeah. or, or in buildings are are complete. Where do you think the next level is in terms of what you'll be looking at after that? Appreciate that's a difficult question. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it, it's a good question, Duncan, and it, it's certainly why we've started to you know kind of broaden the scope of of what we do beyond innovation. So you know, Stephen's made reference to you know research and development, commercialisation is uh, you know actually and arguably it's it's the bigger challenge is you know scaling up those. Um, you know, technologies, systems, and solutions that we know can can deliver impact at scale. So that's that's certainly a big focus. Not not to lose sight of the knowledge exchange piece because you know there are a range of things that you know that we're developing as a range of things that we're applying, and you know we understand that you know these solutions can all perform in very different ways in very different environments. So. You know, a big part of the role that we play is yes, absolutely. It's you know working with our industry partners to create those next solutions, um, but it's also working really closely with our whole community to make sure that those solutions are being well understood um, and that they're, they're being implied, applied in ways that you know ultimately deliver value um, and you know improve the performance and, and the quality of our of our built environment. So. Um, there are certainly areas that are, you know, in in high demand at the moment, and anything in that, you know, kind of natural insulation space um, is of high interest. You know, we, um, as you know, are really interested in, you know, expanding the, you know, the adoption of modern methods of construction. We'll continue to um, to invest in that space, and you know, particularly in the mass timber space. Um, and you know, there is that, you know, kind of on, ongoing debate. It won't be the, I know it's not the first time it's been raised um, on this particular podcast, but you know, where we're going with low carbon um, technologies, um, and you know, what that looks like in the context of Scotland's environment so you know those, those three issues alone are going to keep us busy for uh, for quite a number of years yet i imagine yeah because we were talking i was talking about this with with actually kelly at, at scotland excel about the you know the next stage and you doing quite a lot of work some of the some of the socials i see are, are about timber and, and modern method construction really really interested in that and do you think a lot of the direction of travel will be about sustainable supply chains in scotland absolutely i think um <coughs> scottish government's always got its supply chain development program work that's um, taken on a lot of um, focus you know certainly 
you know, during COVID, post-COVID, um, there was a lot of uh, interest in how other sectors, you know, we went through quite a journey there with, with NHS procurement, but how other sectors could be doing um, different things, better things. Uh, and um, obviously there's Scottish Government developing a new innovation strategy and, and in there there's going to be an opportunity to look at not, ne- I hope there's going to be an opportunity to, to look at not necessarily, you know, what is the next new shiny, you know, thing that we've never seen before that's going to come and save save the world because my suspicion yeah. is it wouldn't be one of them it'll be all the things we already know that need to be yeah. massively kind of supercharged yeah. um but but in that in that context i think one of the really key opportunities is how do we um help you know government uh, and agencies that are responsible for you know public sector spend of which remember in scotland i think the majority of public sector spend is in the built environment sort of, mm. you know, procuring buildings and infrastructure assets four billion-ish a year, something like that. So it's wow. no small um, yeah. no small figure. And if we can help uh, our industry get to the point at which it's able to deliver you know, four point something worth of assets for, for four billion pound, that's got massive uh, economic advantage for, for government, but, but equally, um, we will be delivering more innovative solutions, we'll be delivering things better, faster, cheaper, so um, yeah, I mean, the, the MMC world, which is close to my heart, given my, my previous life, is one of those areas where um, it offers a huge amount of potential, and you know, again, government are are uh, doing a lot of work in the background, and I think this is one of the things I'd take the opportunity to, to highlight that, you know, regularly in all of the conversations we're having around all of the things that need to be done um it's it's not lost on us that a lot of those things are at various stages of being done i don't think anybody um, who's involved in a lot of this could say that there isn't a, a real focus on um you know embodied carbon there isn't a real focus on retrofit there isn't a real focus on mmc and and, and zero carbon solutions it, it just requires a lot of these things to come together and a, a bit of a sort of strategy i suppose and and you know douglas maybe maybe touch on it a wee bit more if we've got time but um We've been, you know, looking at how we could develop a program, a kind of national program, I suppose, that acts a little bit like that, um, like that kind of route map for a better description that kind of says, look, we're not trying to create another new thing that sits in the middle of a whole bunch of other things that need to go on. But actually, we know there's a load of great things going on, but how do we hang them all together? Because the challenge is, you know, across the built environment, across construction, we all shoot off and try and do all the different things we need to do kind of in silos, which historically we've been pretty good at. We need to try and be that kind of silo-busting um, role and sort of say, look, there's great stuff happening there, 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 and there. You don't all need to kind of reinvent the wheel. Here's how we can maybe join that together. So Accelerate to Zero kind of programme is, is where we think there's an opportunity to try and join a lot of these things up much much better, perhaps, than they've, they've been able to do in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, um, we've just completed an analysis and I poured over this myself um, in great detail in the, the new issue of our magazine, uh, which has just gone live online today, um, uh, where we have um, 11 different wall types assessed uh, in terms of embodied carbon um, using the same the same area of wall, the same U value. So we're properly comparing like for like. Yeah, um, like for like. And, and then there's like a bunch of, there's five timber frame variants, two cavity wall variants, um, two insulating concrete format variants, and two single leaf uh, walls with external insulation. We will be adding more like steel frame, like gauge steel frame and so on. Um, um, and there's, you know, yourself, there's a million and one different permutations you could be looking at. Um, but there were, one of the findings that was fascinating for me from it um, was that um, some of the, I mean, ICF, I would regard as a modern method of construction. 
um, insulating concrete formwork, you know. Um, um, and um, the bog standard variant of that was by far the highest emitting variant of any of them that we looked at. Um, it was 15 tons for this area, for this wall versus 4.1 tons for the best wall we looked at, which is an I-beam timber frame with cellulose insulation. Um, and uh, the cavity wall was kind of in the middle. Um, now we could improve the ICF quite a lot. And, and, and one there's an interesting outcome coming from that, that uh, article, which I think is going to lead to more research with uh, an ICF supplier and uh, green cement manufacturer and so on to try and really drive it down to bring them you know, back into the conversation in a, in, a, in a meaningful way, but I just think that that that, that quantification of embodied, you know, the actual the actual hard work of the number crunching, uh, in a fair and comparable way, uh, is just so important, and, and it's so illuminating when you when 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 you get that when you get that data back. You know, I just wanted to say, I, I'm sorry, sorry for 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 cutting in um, like this. One of the things that 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 struck me when you were talking first, Stephen, is um, construction's got such a terrible reputation, you know, in, in lots of people's minds, I think. Um, and it shouldn't, it doesn't have to. You, one of the things that you find when people, genuine engagement with properly sustainable building, a like quality, robust building, is that the people involved in the process, um, the uh, the subbies on site and so on, there's a sense of accomplishment and pride. And it's about rebuilding a new sense of what construction can be, that it can be positive, that it can be a STEM subject, you know, that it can be part of the climate fight and so on, and 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 richly rewarding for for the for the for the clients, for everyone involved. And I just wonder, it feels to me like the messaging around that and the communication of of this new conception of construction is so important. Like the technical stuff, we have to get right too, because without the technical stuff being right, the messaging is pointless. You know, um, but uh, it just feels to me like I don't know if enough people are thinking of that. Uh, you know, really of 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 how to communicate what construction can be. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, you know, two, two very quick um, kind of responses to that. One from my from previous life. So back in, oh good, 2008, 9, 10, something like that, we, I was involved in um, building eight passive, we were involved in building eight passive house buildings down the borders in Scotland. It was the first time uh, the architect had designed them. It was the first time the client had asked for them. It was the first time the QS had ever costed them. It was the first time us as the contractor had ever uh, had ever built them. Um, but we kind of approached it through that spirit of uh, adventure, I suppose. Everybody was on the same page. Everybody knew it was going to be a, a, a you know a, a challenging exercise to go through but what a rewarding experience it was to work with the, the construct we you know, adopted an off-site manufactured approach to a lot of the superstructure kind of components with, with the, the timber frame um, closed panel timber frame system that we used uh, and you know bringing all the subcontractors that were never going to be assembling anything in the factory to the factory to see how we assembled all the bits in the factory before we even got anywhere near site um, opened so many people's eyes to just what what was going on at that part of the process, and then the process on site was amazing. We had the, we built eight houses. It was kind of four pairs of semi-detached uh, houses, but we built eight, um, and we made like literally every mistake you could possibly make on the first one, as you can imagine. We made a few less on the second one, um, and then by the time we got to like the fourth one, we sort of thought, right, we think we know what we're doing now. And the remaining ones were just getting a wee bit of kind of continual improvement and refinement and, and betterment all the time. But see the engagement that we were able to get from the teams that were working on site um, from the minute I rolled up the first time with my blower door test kit and they were all like, this guy's arrived to tell us whether we're any good at stuff um, and I showed them that, you know, first test 
um, I can't remember what the what the uh, performance was, but it was it was like the best house we'd ever built as a company, but it was still ten times as bad as it needed to be. You know what I mean? Genuinely, we had the whole team there who were you know coming in, you know they were opening the door and coming in and walking about in their socks and stuff because they didn't want to potentially burst any membranes or scrape or damage anything. And that was the kind of that was the meant. It was it was culture change. You were watching yeah. kind of right in front of your eyes. They were kind of started off very sceptical and by the time we got to the the kind of middle of the the eight houses they were totally on board with the whole process because they were watching every single time we were testing they were watching Mm -hmm. it get better and they were spotting where the 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 gaps and the problems and the challenges were and then they were addressing them uh, and then they were learning from that really quickly for the the next time to the point at which we kind of built up a real i described them as our kind of crack SES passive house team Um, and the big challenge was and this is what we need to try and guard against in the training sense is you know we built eight eight passive houses there um, certified handed over to client and then that team who'd been involved in it went back to building with the other stuff that were building just you know building regs compliant stuff so they had these skills that could be deployed that we we tried to develop in other kind of areas but it was really difficult to hold that team together because they came from different disciplines within the organization subcontractors and whatnot as well so they they never had basically yeah 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 we we needed a pipeline of passive house projects after that and and we didn't have them you know and uh, i think i was i was going to give a second example and the second example um you know close to to douglas's heart is when we bring um to your question Jeff around how do we change this kind of impression of the industry almost and turn it into a you know as an industry full of capability and quality and expertise but we always we almost always seem to get you know mm. pointed out when we get things wrong if you know what I mean and, and every industry gets stuff wrong you know but um but yeah we we, uh, we take a lot of uh, great feedback from when we engage with uh, schools and, and school children and young people in the factory we bring them innovation factory we um ask them at the beginning you know who, who wants to work in the construction built environment space and you know a couple of them will put their hands up because their dad's a joiner or something you know and and um, and then we'll take them down in the factory we'll show them all the you know technology that the industry is starting to use we'll show them the off-site manufacturing processes the robotics that you can deploy we'll show them the healthy natural breathable materials the stuff we're doing with innovative timber solutions and and bring them back afterwards and ask a question again right who fancies a career in construction or the built environment now and you know we you know we're, we're not overly optimistic that every hand goes up but a lot more hands go up maybe half the room are like I had no idea it was going to be like this and yeah, if it yeah. could be like that that would really attract us and I think that's in that message of how do we turn the built environment and construction into an industry of first choice because we are in a talent war with every other sector remember how do we turn it into an industry of first choice to get the very best creative talents rather than often it's been an industry of last resort for some Aye. people yeah, they sort yeah, of fall yeah. into it by mistake or chair uh, Andy uh, Utram talks a lot about his experience 30 odd years ago joining the industry kind of by mistake a little bit if you know what I mean and, uh, and I think that's a big kind of message is, is to really build on that how do we make this an industry of first choice for the brightest and smartest the most creative innovative people because we've got massive you know global problems to solve and we can do a lot of them from Scotland so yeah. exciting times ahead but, um, but yeah no, no shortage of challenges I'd, I'd like to come in on, on that point because I think the you know, the, the the question was very much around how, how do we mobilize this mm. workforce? How do we bring together, you know, all these capable people that we need to, you know, to, to radically transform our, our built environment? I think Stephen's points are are absolutely valid. I mean that you know we know that there are you know kind of perception issues with, with the industry. We're not 
an industry of, of choice at this stage. And, and we actually know a lot, you know, in the context of, of the education and skill system and, you know, particularly within the school system, I mean, OECD report recently, um, you know, demonstrated that, you know, in a global context, most um, children by the age of seven have already um, decided what they're not going to do. Mm-hmm. And they may not be clear on what, what they are going to do, but, you know, construction is one of those industries that does get pushed off to, to the side at quite quite an early stage. And, you know, we really need to ensure that we are engaging, um, you know, with young people and with their influencers. Um, I mean, what, what gives me heart is that, you know, when we look at the trends of, you know, what influences young people, uh, young people's career choices and aspirations, um, you know, it has for many years been, you know, earning potential right at the yeah. top of that list. But what we've seen, you know, in the, the kind of fastest growing uh, trend within that context is the, the sense of purpose, the ability to contribute in a positive way, particularly around social environmental issues. And I think what we have, on, you know, in our hands in the context of the built environment is, you know, a once in a lifetime, a generational opportunity to position our industry right at the heart um, of that, you know, response to uh, to climate change and to, to global warming. Um, and we do have a critical part to play. We have a massive opportunity um, to really, you know, invest in decarbonising our built environment and create, you know, a, a happier, safer, more prosperous world for, for everyone. And I think to answer the question of what we do to, to mobilise that future workforce, you know, we don't sell the earning potential of different roles within the industry. We sell the opportunity to have a you know a career driven by purpose, a career driven by deep social environmental impact, um, and that's a transformative shift in the way that we present what this industry has to offer. Yeah, I think that's absolutely that's on point. That's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Like communication and communicating the value of this sort of stuff is something that's sorely lacking. I mean, particularly in this industry. Like one of the things I really like about your new brand is that you've got the value proposition there in the name. Albeit yeah. it's hidden, but it's also right there front and center. Best, smarter transition on. All right, you're away. Love it. Uh, I really like the typography as well. Um, but it's, I mean, communication is something that's totally undervalued throughout this industry. As I was looking through our podcast download stats and one of the, the lowest uh, downloaded episodes, Duncan, Jeff, you'll be pleased to know, is the one Alex and I did about the value and importance of communication. <laughs> uh, and like this is a. I can, this I, I'm, a I'm falling asleep listening to you right now. <laughs> I mean, Sorry, Dan, is, what was that you said? <laughs> it's a serious thing, though. Like, unless we communicate the value, like the project yeah. we're working on with you guys is like disclosure, we're working with Best, uh, Alex and I, uh, is about helping the trainers understand how to communicate the value of the Mm. training that they're offering in such a way as to give the people who are undergoing the training the means to communicate the value of the thing they just did. Like it's, it's totally uh, underappreciated the impact that it can have. And what you're talking about uh, is that this, this generational shift, like they're already on it because they're inculcated in it from the get go. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, I've no answers to this. No, I just want I just want to add to that because it's multifaceted. One of the aspects that, that when we first started started speaking to you guys, speaking to Katrina, and when we were 
well learning about you know what your your educators are doing and what the learners are doing and you're, you're teaching some very very key skills that not many other people yet have in the future that's the vision is that a lot more people will have it but what's clear is they don't know how to talk about it as well they don't know how to communicate that value and the really important part is to give them the tools on how to talk about you know you guys are learning something amazing you are far better than that other person who maybe doesn't know about it hasn't learned about it or doesn't even want to do it, just wants to do a bad job you've got the best skills, you want to do high quality work, you know what you're working towards. And learning how to talk about that and tell your customers, tell your family and communicate the value and, and elevate what you're doing is really important. And that's something that's, that we think is, is obviously we're doing, we're saying this because we're all about user experience and communication, but we think that, that is really vital to supporting uh, the establishment of you know, the, the built environment or the low, low carbon built environment uh, and take it to the next level really. It's, it's interesting because so I, just what we've been saying. I come from a trades background and, and I always admire um, Douglas because Douglas Douglas must have been a far better tradesman than he's a stonemason than a, a bricklayer. We, we really kind of we, we always aspire to be exactly. We always aspire to be like stonemason was uh, was was the aspirational target within that. But interestingly, and I say this um, you know quite candidly, my wife will say, "Oh, you know, I don't want the kids to get into construction." And I think that's. You know that's something we really have to tackle head on. It's not it's, it's not seen, but but what we had a fascinating conversation, um, Stephen and, and Douglas, with Eamon Ryan, the, the Irish Energy Minister, and he said he what he and you know he had a great um, um, uh, sort of piece at the end where he said, look, if you're a plasterer or if you're a, 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 a you know a heat pump installer and, and you're a climate hero, you you're, you're potentially who we you're you're who we need in this journey. And I thought that was really turning things. From a messaging perspective, round and round its head, you know that was a that's a that was a point that came up. So we we had an event. I can't I can't remember if it was during COP twenty six or before. I think it was maybe before that. Actually, it must have been before that. It was it was pre COVID. So we had an event and uh, somebody was on the stage and they were talking about you know I think one of the questions was uh, posed was you know what what would you um, do to kind of sell the industry to uh, the kind of next generation sort of thing and and the person started talking about the the array of different you know trades that you could go into and the variety of different things blah, blah, blah. and then somebody in the audience put their hand up and they just they weren't putting their hand down they were just like hand up hand up hand up so uh, the person that was doing the comparing for us went to the audience and and uh, she went nonsense utter nonsense stop talking about the things we do as an industry and talk about the impact that we'll have as an industry and it's back to that point you know it's that purpose-driven um sort of approach you know we 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 are full of climate heroes in that sense who do amazing things that are going to help um you know reverse the 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 you know, the climate impact that we've been having uh, yeah. as a species and uh, uh, we're not going to attract more people if we just talk about bricklaying or joining yeah. or plumbing or roofing or scaffolding or whatever it is. We're not going to get yeah. people coming with that kind of mission. But if you talk about the impact that we uh, are going to have in terms of that, you know, um, carbon reduction challenge or digital transformation or whatever, manufacturing kind of innovation, whatever it may be, think about those sorts of things. It was one of the, um, I think when the banking uh, crisis of 2008 sort of thing, and literally everybody, you know, that, that didn't want to be associated with it anymore left the banking sector. And they went through that same sort of challenges. How do you attract people back into the banking sector? And it wasn't about, um, you know, come and work for us and 
make loads of money and it'll be brilliant. It was come and actually figure out how through a cyber security point of view, we can, you know, make sure your granny doesn't get all our savings stolen sort of thing. And it was about finding that purpose, that kind of way of, you know, giving people that way of connecting in a sector that's on a journey to do things that are really valuable rather than just looking at the kind of activities that we might do. And that it links to a very interesting point though, Stephen, because um, uh, we also had at the time of the banking crisis uh, a collapse in construct in the construction industry too, of course. Um, and construction has a tendency, you know, to be a very much boom bust industry, um, which is, you know, so so there's so there's only so far you can go to convince people of this of the 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 um, uh, how attractive this is as, as a sector when there's a, a sense of, of of risk and uncertainty hanging over parts of it as an industry. And one of the points that I found really interesting about the, some of the arguments that the uh, people in and around the Irish government are starting to make about these long-term deep retrofit commitments that we've got now um, are that this is a way of cutting through some of that uh, boom and bust. You've got certainty being provided here, you know, um, and um, and you have you've also got even from the Irish mammies' perspective, not wanting to have the kid, their kids go, you know, to halfway up the country to one of the big sites in Dublin. You've got jobs in your local community, you know, um, and stability and and uh, and the ability to work locally and so on. So it's just interesting, kind of stressing testing this uh, as an exercise to kind of work out what are the things that turn people off construction. You know, um, and and the things that 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 choke off uh, the, the su- supply, I suppose, um, in terms of of the, the workforce that we need. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I can maybe come in on on that one. So you know, a lot of the you know, kind of research that I've been engaged in through, throughout my career has been looking at um, you know occupational segregation in the industry. It's been looking at um, you know the the ways in which the the workforce are you know almost wholly non representative of of our society. Um, and you know, considering ways that you know that, that we might address that, and um, of course, it is a, a particularly sticky issue. But you know, for those that you know, are you know, fundamentally against pursuing a career in the industry, it does tend to be around those same common factors. And you know, you've referenced some of them there, Jeff. So it's, you know, the transient nature of of the work itself, so it is boom and bust. Um, be really interested to see how. Um, our society responds now that some of the you know other kind of more traditional routes, um, particularly for for those who you know classify themselves as non-academic, so I'm thinking you know, food and hospitality, travel and tourism type sectors are you know perhaps just as precarious uh, now given some of the experiences we've had over the last few years. But um, there's also the transient nature of the work itself. So you're know, traveling all around the country, getting up at you know four or five o'clock in the morning. Who knows what time you get back at night. Um, and then there is, you know, the you know, kind of physical labour um, elements of it. The perception it's dirty, it's dangerous, you know, it's 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 hard graft. Um, and then the culture, uh, you know, whether uh, you can make an argument whether it's a you know perceived um, cultural issues, whether you know there are actual cultural issues. I think we'll all have have our own opinions on that. Um, but I think what we can do as as an industry is be you know really critically reflective. Of the things, the aspects of of our practice that are you know turning off that potential workforce, and think about the investments that we might make now that help to address it. And again, to Dan's point, we need to be very clear in our communication of of what's been addressed. So, you know, in terms of you know the the transients of work, you know, you've referred to you know providing pipeline confidence, you know, long term public you know public investment. 
um, transient nature of work. We're certainly keen to to push more activity off site and to have those manufacturing facilities to develop your know, local, you know, secure, stable, resilient supply chains that um, you know that again you're know, supported by a pipeline of work. And then the you know kind of cultural aspect, I think we just need to get real there and recognise that you know developing in you know equitable and inclusive workplace environments are you know fundamentally good for everyone and particularly when we talk to you know talk about those underrepresented groups you know we need to ensure that we are able to provide not only a compelling message but a compelling reality um because we are you know opening that funnel up and welcoming everyone into our industry we need to make sure we're doing everything that we possibly can to keep them in the industry and get maximum value. And you know, ultimately, what good looks looks like for me mm-hmm. is that you know we deliver a built environment that meets the needs and expectations of everyone in our society because the workforce is representative of that society, and that's exactly what we need as an industry right now. I think we perhaps need to exceed expectations because one of the common themes of this, uh, the the conversations that we have, is. Like really, really low expectations of the built environment throughout the UK and Ireland. Like the slop we put up with, talking to to we we all know friend we all have friends from Europe who, particularly Northern Europe, who are astonished at <laughs> the standard of our our homes, like the the quality of insulation and heating. Uh, man, yeah, this oh, can we do better? Best, best is best. Yes, you're right. Well, that. That, that was so two things I was going to say. I'm conscious, Douglas, having just pointed out that we need a diverse and uh, and uh, representative uh, sector that it's uh, it's six middle aged men. Guys, yeah. And and if you do, yeah, I was looking at the colour of all of us with beards, but getting a little bit grey in the middle there. Uh, so uh, so yeah, I'm conscious that we have got to do better, absolutely. Yeah. But that point, Daniel, that that's kind of why best as an acronym for our built environment smart transformation uh, sort of. Um, you know, future direction of travel is actually really, really, um, it was well, it was quite, you know, well considered by those that were involved in developing it. And it isn't, you know, if, if, if nobody listens to anything, anybody that is listening to this, if nobody takes away anything from it other than the fact that it isn't about us uh, as an organisation being best, it's absolutely about, you know, that collaborative kind of opportunity that when, as an industry, we come together, we can do amazing things. You know, we we um, are at our best when we're collaborating around some of these real challenges, and and it's about finding the best solutions, the best ideas, the best innovations. You know, that's really what the best message is all about. And in our name, you see that acronyms always get that kind of a hyphen in the middle. It's a wee squiggly line, and it's that's the whole point. It's that connector. It's about joining up all these different kind of um, various different things that we are really lucky enough to sit in the middle of a really diverse network work of uh, of innovators and you know change makers and, and and disruptors and challengers and traditional you know mindset you know businesses organizations as well our job is to try and you know bring all of that together for the betterment of the entire uh, the entire kind of um, ecosystem so yeah that that um, i just wanted to kind of um use this platform thank you very much to make mm-hmm. that point about the best kind of acronym that that's really um, important for us that people get that it's not about us thinking we're the best that's the last thing no, this, is, this has been a, it's been a great conversation we keep on saying that we need to bring on people we don't agree with and we don't just sit there nodding away but you know it, it has been quite an inspiring conversation because I think some of the work you're doing is pivotal in how we get this right um, and it's been brilliant I mean we could talk here 
like you said, no, I thought brilliant. Keep you for a while, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to yeah. I, I I'm gonna my neck muscles are gonna wear out from agreeing too much. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's been it's been really inspiring. Are, are you guys aware of the um, Glaswegian comedian Limmy? Any chance? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you seen his um <laughs> his Tina Turner routine? <laughs> You need to put. Uh, I see that one, but I'm going to go Google it now. So. Yeah, there's like it's a, him. Uh, there's like uh, this kind of mirror image of lots of Limmies basically dancing with a Tina Turner wig on, dancing to a Tina Turner song. And I'm just thinking of terrible, simply the best kind of pun with middle-aged mm. men wearing Tina Turner wigs, which would be completely wrong on so many levels. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. You, you, you obviously just... missed our launch event. That was, <laughs> that, that was the last, the last act. Uh, he's he's just made he's just made my job of editing much harder there, Douglas, because I'm going to have to get back and cut cut that bit out in case we. Uh... <laughs> but listen, it's been great, Stephen Douglas. Thanks very much. I think it's been fantastic. Thanks if we can come across next week, it'd be, be great. Really appreciate you coming. And we definitely say this to lots of people. We definitely need to get you back on. You guys are on a journey, and I think it'd be great to keep in, in, in touch and, and see where you're going with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, thanks. Really appreciate it. Great to speak to you all. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got no shortage of uh, things we need to do. But um, but yeah, looking forward to doing it, uh, doing it with everybody. So yeah, we'll, uh, we're up for